price drop? Time to shop. Get to a Nordstrom Rack store today for first dibs on new markdowns. Now score even more, up to 70% off brands everyone loves at Nordstrom Rack. Denim, dresses, sneakers, tops, and more. Plus, get genius deals on jackets, sweaters, and boots for the whole family. Shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and save up to 70% with new markdowns. But hurry, deals this great won't last. The legends are true. Overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Hey guys, Ben Kissel here to remind you about our move to Spotify. This show, along with all your other LPN favorites, is going exclusive to Spotify on Valentine's Day 2020. That means you'll only be able to listen to this episode, future episodes, and our entire back catalog of shows over on Spotify starting on February 14th. If you haven't tried Spotify, it's free and easy to download and use on any device, no credit card needed. Just download the app, search your favorite LPN shows on Spotify, and listen to all our episodes like you normally would. No matter what kind of account you choose, you can always download for offline listening for free. This show and all your favorite music in one place? What are you waiting for? Listen to The Last Podcast Network free on Spotify. Hello, everybody. It's your tentacle monster wizard, Holden McNeely, going after you from the River Han. And it's me, your lovable super pig, Jake. Oh, no, it's too accurate. <laughs> I'm so friendly, but have such sad eyes. You know, I want to say that you're a, a, a bruiser, but you're just too sweet of a big super pig to, <laughs> to even do that. You know what I mean? <laughs> Oh, I was raised on river fish. Uh, this has been a great, great subject. Of course, today we are covering... And we're both bitter and broke. So yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> today we're covering Bong Joon-ho, uh, who, you know, I didn't even realize until looking at the IMDb not too, too long ago after being so impressed by Parasite, just how many movies he's made that I have loved. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, of course, is the mastermind behind... The host behind Snowpiercer, behind uh, Parasite, and of course there's Mother and... Um, uh, Memories of a Murder, Okja. Okja, these films that I, I hadn't really had had been acquainted with until this past week, and it was it was a real joy to just discover this man's body of work, and he truly is a South Korean master of film and parasite is is just incredible and um i loved watching it i watched it with my lovely wife alexis and what was so great about it one of the many things that was so great about it for me personally was watching with her who she works for the very rich Mm -hmm. in brooklyn new york um so she's really been acquainted with all this stuff and having her be like yep they do that and that (laughs) that's exactly what they do and she just absolutely loved the film of course so did i but he's done so many good things i mean i remember seeing the host 
back when I was really watching a lot more horror than I even do now and being so floored by it and thinking it was just such a lovely little gem that not a ton of people were talking about back when that movie came out. And then Snowpiercer, I had no idea it was the same guy. Snowpiercer, one of the rewatching it this week. One of the best movies of all time. Dude, I love Snowpiercer. I love any movie that's like a video game where it's like we have to make it from here to here. You know what I mean? Um, it's, it, the entire movie is literally we're going from left to right. And yes. We'll get into that. But uh, Marie, uh, when she found out we were doing uh, director Bong Joon-ho, uh, was like, I saw Snowpiercer in theater four times. And I was like, what? And I was wow. like, she was like, anytime someone was even vaguely like, oh, I heard it was pretty okay. She would yeah. be like, I'm taking you. But, yeah. This is, of course, because she was a giant Chris Evans fangirl. <laughs> I did not know that about but, your fiance. That's amazing. Who isn't? Uh, <laughs> who isn't? I mean, and he's great in it. And I'm never going to have the perfect Dorito torso, Marie. It's not going <laughs> to happen. <laughs> um, yeah, that's a tough one to live up to. Uh, but yeah, this guy is incredible. He's made such. He has such a great body of work. Then and there's just so much more to come from him for sure. So much what, of it deals with uh, class issues as well, which I think is a very fascinating thing to play class, in. Almost like it deals with everything. Like it's very, it's very rare. He achieves something which I think is almost the golden standard. Something that is so desirable, which is he manages to pull off the "we live in a society" moment in movies that are actually entertaining, that are actually engaging, and are actually like. Just vague enough that like it, it actually gets your mind racing and kind of going places. Right. Instead of, although a lot of times he will have villains just be like, I am doing this and it is bad. <laughs> but in such stylistic and cartoonish and like interesting ways that, you know, it's uh, it's it's more than just uh, Joaquin Phoenix going, what happens when you push a crazy guy to the edge in a, a capitalist <laughs> society? Right. You get shot, Robert De Niro. You get clown makeup. You also have so many different genres here. Sci-fi, action, thriller, uh, the ho- horror monster film, the uh, just the, the satire. I mean, Parasite, Parasite is, is a like comedy of errors for all movies. of its dark weirdness. Yeah, yeah. It's got a lot. Of, it's like a, a, a thriller for sure. But really, at the end of the day, it is a satire. It is a... It is a, a comedy film about the, the differences in class and, and the way, you know, all there were, yeah, so many laughs in that movie. Mother was fantastic, really about family, about about what a mother w- is willing to go through for her son. Mother gets kind of swept under the rug mm-hmm. with from a lot of his other movies. Like, uh, is, is it that good? Is it worth watching? Oh, absolutely. 100%. But really beautifully done. I mean, it is a smaller film. It is a slower film. It is not. Um, it, it definitely has, it, you know, he has a very specific brand of comedy that exists in every one of his movies, even the most self-serious. Uh, and in in Mother, you do get tastes of it. But at the end of the day, there were moments where, you know, yeah, Lexi came in at one point last night when I was watching and she was just like, is this like a horror movie? I was like, no, no. But the big twist happened. She was like, yeah, I heard you gasp from like the other room. He just is so good. And that that is and that is much more, too, of an intimate character piece that is all wrapped around the murder that happens and a mother trying to um, get her son out of prison he was convicted of the murder and she's trying to get to the bottom of who really did it it is it is very very good great premise and and the actress at the helm of it who we will talk about is just amazing in it i i just i love this the style and the feel of his films his films the colors can be so muted it can be such a gritty tough world and at the same time there's this warmth and this heart behind all of it that i think is just so wonderful 
Um, and yeah, I mean, just what, what a fucking body of work so far. And I feel like it's such a premature episode because I think he has so many more movies in him too, that, that, that we get to enjoy, uh, throughout our lives. Well, what's interesting to me is like throughout most of like, ever since I graduated high school, there's just been these like once every couple of years, Korean films that just blow through everything. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, train to Busan was mm. a giant hit that, you know, zombies on a train, uh, not, Humanity on a Train, which was Snowpiercer. Mm. Uh, Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, Old Boy from yes. Chanwook Park. Uh, you know, it's just, uh, it was interesting to look into the history of Korea and the history of how that uh, film system works and how uh, Bong Joon-ho kind of came up through that system mm -hmm. and kind of uh, managed to be one of the first big international names. It's just a fascinating thing. To the point where he is nominated for Best Picture, not Foreign Film, Best Picture at the Academy Awards. I think, is he nominated for Best Foreign as well? As well. Which that's is always such a dumb. Always like, hilarious. Just like, so just yeah, admit. So just give it to him then, I guess, or whatever. And also, who? Are, why are we even doing this? Yeah, I am just so happy for him in this moment, too, and that he gets the recognition that he has so deserved for so very long. And we'll talk about some of the trials and tribulations he's had with moving his films into American territories, dealing with um, evil Mr. Weinstein in that regard as <laughs> every well. Every time. How <laughs> can we... I, I, I tweet about just this. the villain every, in every one of our movies about, uh, episodes about movies. Villain, it's just every <laughs> cool movie that a, a young Millennial dude has imprinted on yes. was directly tied to Harvey. We're gonna have to talk about him again in the uh, Kevin Smith episode. Worse, it's just he's just a fucking fat lecherous <laughs> monster man that happened to be like, hey, what if uh, explosions? But you weren't idiots about it, right? Right. <laughs> Uh, so, you know what, Jake? I have so much material, and you've already t told me that you essentially have so much more than I do, especially on his childhood. Let's get right the fuck in there, honestly, because I think we, we have so much to cover today. We should really just jump on it and just really start this festival of dick-waving that we are about to present to our audience. Okay, so <laughs> one of the things that, about uh, Director Bong that really kind of just... It's it's almost like he was bred to have made Parasite and to have made Snowpiercer. Mm. He's kind of like the perfect engine to make these movies. One of the things you have to know is that uh, his mom was ostracized and culturally shunned because she was the um, daughter of a leftist controversial author who had defected to North Korea oh, wow. after she was born. Wow. So like from day one, like, you know, you can't talk about uh, his mom's family. His dad was a art professor mm -hmm. uh, dealing in industrial design, and um, he just like you know was just a local art professor. And uh, his family was just kind of cold. He was just kind of a solitary kid. He describes uh, you know going through his dad's art, uh, a lot like uh, the JoJo uh, creator going through his dad's art books and just doodling constantly and just like drawing the naked ladies in the art books for hours on end. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and also, and he still his mother to this day is very. Uh, can be very almost helicoptery about uh, towards him. Is very very constantly checking in on him and everything. Uh, and and they of course to this is a world in which especially he mentions this being a South Korea at least growing up where film was not looked at. I think with the esteem that it is even now looked at today in South Korea, it was definitely um, a more silly uh, pursuit. Back then, I think, at least in terms of the way that South Korean parents in general view it. 
So he was a quiet, sensitive kid, and obviously his parents did what is really great for sensitive, quiet kids. They moved him from a rural area to uh, Seoul, South Korea, mm. uh, one of the largest cities in East Asia. Of course. Uh, the kids there immediately made fun of his accent. He uh, would capture cockroaches in his apartment and bring them to school in glass jars. Just a real, just like uh, kind of freaky kid, but his grades were great. Yeah, and he was always really into movies. He said, I was always a huge film buff. I was a child of the 70s, so I didn't have access to DVDs or VHS growing up. I didn't go to the movies that often either. In many ways, TV was my cinema. I would open up the TV schedule and see what movies were playing each week. Although I was mostly watching films on TV, I could get through around 10 a week. By the time I got to middle school, I was certain that I wanted to become a film director. Not just TV. So this is interesting. Um, what the movies that he loved on television were ones that were broadcast on the Armed Forces Korea Network, which was for U.S. troops stationed in Korea. Mm. And they weren't subtitled and they weren't dubbed over. So he was watching movies by like Brian De Palma and John Carpenter with no, with a total language barrier. He loves the thing, by the way. Big, of course big he fan. loves the thing. So this is a thing that we've covered a lot also where foreign uh, directors and foreign creators are just shotgunned American media with like fascinating visuals, but no context. And so they're forced to like process these images and create their own stories behind it. Uh, Miyazaki from Dark Souls uh, famously had to do this with old D&D books. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And so he starts like so he gets the style, he gets the visual, he gets the tone. But he has to imbue it with his own Korean history and his own Korean perspective, which when you look at a lot of his movies, totally fits. So he's an artist. He draws. He makes comics. He makes comic strips. He is watching way too many cool, edgy 80s movies. And uh, at one point, he finds a small television, like one of those weird portable televisions from the 80s. And, like, watches it secretly at nights because he's, like, memorized the TV schedules. He's huh. watching it. Honestly, by the way, can I, side note, this reminds me a lot of myself <laughs> as a kid. Memorizing that TV schedule, opening up the newspaper on a Sunday, and and planning out what movies I would watch that week is definitely something I did as well. So I love hearing it. He set up a crude projector with a magnifying glass where he had to flip the TV upside down, get the magnifying glass just right so he could project it on the wall of his room. Then once VCRs were introduced, he has uh, he claims he still has the 600 VHS tapes ah. of all of his favorite movies that he had taped off of TV at the time. He's also growing up in a very tumultuous time in South Korea. Yes, very tumultuous. Military time. dictatorships, uh, coups, controversies, protests in the streets, and uh, you know a lot of the authority figures in his in his life. Uh, everyone from his dad's boss to his school principal are these stern like former military guys who are trying to like clamp down on uh you know kind of degeneracy and kind of they, they just got out of the korean war communism yeah. leftism bad free expression bad you know be good to your country be you know don't misbehave and you know he started a satirical newspaper in his high school just shitting on all of his teachers and shitting on his uh former uh, soldier principal he's um going out to union strikes and taking part in protest movements and uh, when he finally goes to university, he doesn't uh, he doesn't take film classes, but he still like join. He starts a film club. 
He's still very passionate about movies. And passionate about movies, not just the ones we mentioned from America that he's watching, but also he's really into the new wave film directors of Taiwan and Korea. You've got Taiwanese filmmaker Edward Yang was one of the main players in the Taiwanese new wave movement in the 1980s, which had a focus on Taiwanese society and culture that was uh, socially conscious, very art house in style, which makes a lot of sense. It delved into the conflict between modern and traditional values, which again makes a lot of sense as an influence. Another Taiwanese new wave director Jun Ho paid attention to, sorry, was Hao Xiaoxin, Known for his long takes, which also Bong is known for, with minimal camera movement, and it explored how historical events affected small groups of characters. Again, I think that you can definitely see that in his modern work. Shohai Imamura was uh, at the forefront of the Japanese New Wave and also put a lens on Japanese society. Imamura said, I am interested in the relationship of the lower part of the human body and the lower part of the social structure. I ask myself what differentiates humans from other animals. What is a human being? I look for the answer by continuing to make films. Uh, there was another Korean, other Korean directors, Lee Jang-ho and Bae Chang-ho also. These are all Korean directors in the 80s. Uh, Taiwan and Japanese as well, directors that are having a strong influence. And if you look at the backbone of all these directors, a lens, putting a lens on society and on cultures and examining the differences between these classes within society, which becomes, of course, a trademark of Bong Joon-ho. This is another incident from The Adventures of Young uh, Bong Joon-ho. During his first semester in his third year at university, he was arrested for participating in a Korean teachers union demonstration. Uh, This this is at Yonsei University, I'm assuming, where he's majored in sociology. Yes. Cool. And uh, he ended up in jail for a month and was released only on the condition that he immediately join the uh, Korean military, which is to this day, uh, you know, you're conscripted at... uh, once you're a young adult there, you can, like, delay it. But every able-bodied male in South Korea has to join the military. Mm. And it was there that he actually had a great time because he was able to interact with a ton of, for lack of a better word, scumbags. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> you know, the the there's a kind of through line in a lot of his movies where, like, there's this kind of lovable lower class shithead <laughs> throughout his movies. He has, like, a lot of sympathy yeah. for uh, people who are kind of down on their luck and kind of crafty and kind of just getting by. And a lot of that, he claims, is from this one month he spent in prison. Very cool. Um, ironically, even though he was there with criminals, because of the anti-protester propaganda that was so prevalent at the time, all the crooks and scumbags thought that he was, like, this weird degenerate shitlord because he was a university protester and they were asking him like is it true that like all the boys and girls live in a big dorm room together and fuck all night like are you high on drugs right now like is it true you shoot cocaine in your penis like (laughs) all these things because he was the scary university protester even though he's just the quiet kid that like movies and doodled comics in his part time also while at college and we will talk about this later when we get to the parasite uh, section of the episode he did get a job tutoring a child of a wealthy family family while at college it only lasted two months Junho said about this I never really helped the kids study I was more interested in having fun with him they fired me right away when they wanted to and it was actually uh, his girlfriend I believe at the time who got him the job based on a recommendation which are all things that go into that parasite script which we will get to later uh, and yeah he ends up by the way he's studying sociology at the because he doesn't want to piss his parents off so that's the climate we're in It's you can't just go to film school 
school necessarily around this time if you if you're have traditional South Korean parents. Uh, but he was working with a uh, very active college film society that yes. was called like the Yellow Door Group, I believe, because okay, yes. that was yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and through them he was making a lot of student films and working on other student films. And through that, he actually got into a very prestigious uh, program mm-hmm. after he graduated. The Korean Academy of Cinema. Correct. <laughs> yes, for uh, a year. I also read somewhere it was two years, but I think he claims it was a year. He made a bunch of 16-millimeter short films and his graduation films, Memory Within the Frame and Incoherence. Incoherence is very cool. Yeah, you watched it? What's the deal? Um, I couldn't find a copy of it, but it's uh, basically a triptych of short films which just showcases three men being just kind of shitty. One is a university professor who uh, realizes that he has a uh, illegal porn was illegal at the time, mm. illegal porno mag sitting open on his desk. And he had to like ha. chase down a student that was dropping off a book for him. Another one involves like a jogger who had been stealing milk from people's like milk bottles and front, you know, back in the old days, you got the milkman to come to drop off your milk every day. Right. And he was stealing milk. And another one uh, was like uh, some other shithead. And you just follow these three incongruous stories, and then the movie ends with all three of those people appearing on TV as conservative pundits talking about how, uh, you know, ah. university students are are degenerate oh, like, awesome. scumbags. That's great. But and that was his big breakthrough. A yes, lot of people it was loved that. Invited to screen at the Vancouver and Hong Kong International Film Festivals, and also at this time he's helping friends out with their projects, as you do. Oh, the right third out of guy uh, just uh, was trying to pee somewhere and couldn't figure out where to pee, so he tried to lie his way into an apartment uh, that's funny uh so yeah he's he ends up uh uh doing pro- other projects uh cinematographer lighting d- designer things like that uh, and um and that's really where he spends his first five years out of film school because even with all that buzz from incoherence the uh rigorousness the strictness of the kind of apprenticeship program in the korean movie industry was you don't get to skip ahead. You don't, like, no matter what buzz, you still start as an assistant. You still start as a PA. So he has a partial screenplay credit for the film Seven Reasons Why Beer is Better Than a Lover, which is a collection <laughs> of short films centered around one theme. In this case, it's a guy who drinks beer and gets caught up in different romances. Bong refers to this movie as, quote, the worst movie ever in Korea. So <laughs> not too proud of that one. He also served as an AD assistant director uh, and helped with the screenplay on Motel Cactus, directed by Park Ki-yong, and has a screenplay credit on a film called Phantom the Submarine in 1999 about a Korean submariner trying to prevent a member of his crew from launching a nuclear attack on Japan. Uh, while he was working on all these shit gigs, it should be noted that uh, <laughs> he was living with his pregnant wife, ah. who was earning the majority of the money in the household, because these weren't high, you know, these were right. shit gigs, you know. Right. Especially at this level, there wasn't any union that's not like Hollywood where everyone's rates are standardized. This He was paying his dues and was just, yeah, he was not a good living situation. And continues to pay his dues through his first feature film called Barking Dogs Never Bite about an out-of-work college professor who, irritated by the barking dogs outside his apartment building, starts abusing and kidnapping them until a young woman in the complex starts to investigate the issue. He pulls in producer Cha Sung Jae in to oversee the production uh, and uh, he did the same uh uh they they worked on motel cactus and phantom the submarine before that he shot the film in the same apartment complex that you were talking about that he lived in just after getting married and it stars bay duna as the young woman investigator who who went on to star in the host as well as working on the wachowski films including 
Cloud Atlas and Sensate uh, for Netflix. And uh, this film, not really making any huge waves. It's released in 2000. It's a total box office bomb. And it's eventually uh, slightly rectified by it being invited to Spain's San Sebastian International Film Festival, where it won some awards at uh, Slam Dance and the Hong Kong International Film Festival. That led to a, just enough word of mouth to internationally get it, essentially to break even two years after its release. So that has got to be a really rough first outing for Bong. It's great that it eventually broke even at least, but that's not, that's not a, a reassuring start for sure. To add insult to injury, a lot of his uh, fellow students and fellow graduates of the Korean Academy of Film Arts were doing great. They were having all these breakout hits, and he was kind of like this underperforming guy, especially after he had all that buzz from Incoherence. So, right. like, this was a real kick in the dick. Right, and so the dick kicks back with... With Memories of Murder, released in 2003. It is a crime drama based on the true story of Korea's first serial murders in history, which took place from 1986 to 1991 in Hwaseong, Gyeonggi Province, I know I said it wrong, but we what gotta are you watch this do? movie. I'm pissed that I, I could not find it, and I'm furious that I cannot. I could I found not get a one hold of weird it. stream that seems official on like a weird website that was called like Film Gizzle, or it's just something I, real I, bad. I read through the whole plot synopsis, got as many images as I could find, but it is it is a crime that it is not more readily available for American citizens. Uh, this because it looks fucking awesome. Uh, of course, also by the way, Bong. Very big fan of all sorts of serial killer movies. Loves things like Silence of the Lambs, things like that. This is his offering in that genre. It is about the true story of Lee Chun Jae, who was convicted of killing his sister-in-law and later confessed to the killing of 15 other people. In each case, a woman was found bound, gagged, and in most cases strangled to death with her own clothes, which led to the largest criminal case in South Korea with over 2 million mandates spent on the investigation and over 21,000 suspects investigated. And by the way, I'm acting, I'm talking about it as if we knew that this was the killer when the movie was made. We did not. When this movie came out in 2003, they had not, Lee Chun Jae had not confessed to the crime, which makes it even more eerie and, and bizarre. A lot of uh, a lot of the kind of essays and commentary I saw about this film gave a lot of uh, comparisons to Zodiac because that was and also one of Bong's favorites as well. Loves Zodiac because it's a visually dynamic, incredibly well paced, deliberately paced uh, story that kind of reflects. Even though it's about this great uh, unsolved murder that's in the imaginations of a lot of uh, the country, it's more about the society and the kind of weird struggles as a people that the that was happening at that time. Yeah. Um, there's a famous scene where, uh, you know, they're hunting down the killer and they like they think they, they've got a beat on him. They think they can catch him. And uh, all of the backup and even they are called away to squash a protest that like. Mm-hmm. You know, justice is not being served because of these skewed national uh, priorities. Uh, there's a great essay on YouTube uh, by the channel Every Frame of Painting, uh, which, which is goes, fantastic. We've we've mentioned Every Frame of Painting, I believe, before on this on this show, uh, which goes into kind of it really breaks down what makes Bong Joon Ho so great, which is a lot of movies, like especially stuff like Marvel movies, standard action movies, standard like Hollywood movies. We'll just film for coverage. It's just close up to yeah. close up to close up to close up. Maybe a wide shot, but then back to close up, close up, close up. 
because Bong Joon-ho is so committed to uh, the, you know, because he was raised on comics, each frame matters. And, you know, he's has all these wonderful ensemble uh, shots where each character takes turns talking and he masterfully redirects attention. And there's all these twists and all these like different themes happening on what is just a shot of all the actors acting naturally together. And he talks about how he storyboards all of his shit himself. And I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but I'm so excited to talk about this. I think it's so fucking cool. For Parasite, they built a program that allowed him to uh, go through all of the shots in virtual reality (laughs) so that he could actually figure out if the set itself would allow him to get the shots he wanted. And if it didn't, they could rearrange the set and bust down walls and stuff so that he could get those shots that he wanted. And, and besides that being amazing, doing his own storyboards is a huge deal. That is that is definitely the kind of thing that makes you an auteur filmmaker we, for sure. It seems like a, whether we're talking about like uh, Empire Strikes Back or, you know, The Matrix, having those storyboards, knowing exactly this, how you want to tell the story you're telling leads to a much more deliberate and affecting product. 100%. Um, the, the, other, is, the other really, really important thing about Memories of Murder is it is the first film that he begins his collaboration with actor Song Kang Ho. Oh, you swiped in to steal Hell the Song yeah. Kang Ho Did I just give you that swipe, swipe, son? Oh, I was looking at it. I was trying to figure <laughs> out if I could pronounce his name, and then you just swoop in. Uh, song. You the, swooped, Jerry. You swooped. He is, uh, I guess, my, my best uh, example is he is the father in Parasite. He, he is, is incredible. He he's wanted, also the father and the host. Yes, he's the he's he's used by Bong a lot. He wanted to be an actor since the eighth grade, but was never professionally trained. He joined a theater company after earning a degree in broadcasting in college and started out working in stage productions for a decade until he took a role as an extra in the film The Day a Pig Fell into the Well at the age of 30, which led him to uh, film performances such as a gangster training a group of recruits in some Song Nung Han's number three, which got him his first acting award. He became known as the South Korean leading everyman. He is that Chris Evans. He is that Tom Hanks. Yeah, he's that Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks, much better example. Um, uh, he's he's that guy, and he was in films such as The Foul King, which was his first leading role, a film called Joint Security Area, which was... It's a big deal in Korea. Big action and thriller film stuff that he did his own stunts in. He earned many awards, and that is what catches the eye of Bong Joon-ho. Song said, What I like about director Bong's work is that his films are not the kind you just watch once and then leave behind. And personally, I agree. You find a different attraction every time you watch them. Whenever I work with director Bong, it's always delightful to share his way of looking at the world. It's quite extraordinary. And this is really the film that puts Bong Joon-ho on the map, having been seen by over 5 million people in its domestic run, making it the most watched film in South Korea in 2003, while also being screened at several film festivals. This is when he first starts to get uh, a relationship going with Cannes in in France, with uh, Hawaii, London, Tokyo, and the San Sebastian International Film Festival, where he does win Best Director. This is really what gets him where he needs to be sets the stage to blow the doors open on the South Korean cinema uh, world with the host and onward. Um, uh, yeah, just fantastic shit. I really, really feel like this film needs to be more available. It is very frustrating. 
But um, this is a good point for me. I, I, I found a really good quote from him about his writing process. And I want to say this before I give this quote. I love, love, love anytime someone talks about just how fucking god-awful the rough draft script writing process is. He has just as much turmoil over it as so many of us. If you've ever tried to write a film script, you under I, I don't think... I hate anyone who wants to tell me that it's just like they have the funnest, easiest time writing a film. So it is just so difficult to do. But he said, my process is a little bit more erratic and I suffer through my writing process and I can't do it in one place. I have a group of cafes and coffee shops that I go to regularly. They usually have an area where I can plug in my computer and have a corner seat where I can do a couple hours of writing or whatever. Even the noise of the surrounding people walking by. Those things are the things that stimulate me into writing. There are periods uh, when I can't write for a week or even a month. Then I would go and watch all the films that I like. And I like that this is a good alternative for people who struggle like I struggle to write. Even if they don't have anything to do with it in terms uh, of story or genre, if they have nothing to do about the script I'm writing about, I just go. I don't care. I just go watch the films that I've always enjoyed since I was young. Either that or sometimes I'll take a pile of 10 or 20 DVDs and watch the sequences that I enjoy throughout those films. All these things help me relieve my stress and stimulate me as well when I face writer's block. And he's always like working on the next film while he's in the middle of production on the current film that that seems to be another part of his style he loves to be like when he's making the host he's thinking about mother mm-hmm. you know when he's making snowpiercer he's thinking about um uh parasite uh he actually was working on the host when they were doing memories of a murder uh-huh uh, that makes sense uh the dude the host. the host can we talk about the fucking host in a interview uh, Bong Joon-ho says that um, what, and when asked what was the you know where did you first come up with the concept for the host uh, director Bong says uh, in a past interview I said that I had seen actually seen a monstrous creature at the John Steel Bridge when I was in high school that's a bridge over the River Han it's like the Hudson of and the Seoul. River Han is the setting yeah. of our film here this is this is uh, yeah where it all takes place I think that uh, actually that was just a strategy we came up with the marketing team later. Actually, the starting point for the idea is I was a big fan of the Loch Ness Monster ever since I was a child. The magazines for young boys and girls that I read when I was a kid used to print a lot of photographs of Nessie as they introduced mysteries of the world. And I think that's where it was originated. I wondered what it would be like to move the mystery of a Western monster to the Han River. And he said in February 2000, there was the famous McFarland case where 400 plus bottles of formaldehyde were poured into the Han River and the order was given by an American officer. It was quite shocking and the whole society was in an uproar. But for someone who is preparing to shoot a film about a creature coming out of the Han River and to have this sort of event happen is shocking. But at the same time, it excited me and I knew right away this was the way I was going to start my film. It's the opening sequence. It's it's it honestly you could cut that sequence and the movie still works. But it was, it's very it's funny so good. because the act, whoever the actor they had, you know, it's a common thing whenever uh, Asian or foreign directors are, you know, kind of directing someone in a, an English line. They're like making them do the line like they want to hear it right. and not as the um, English actor can say it naturally. Right. So like it's this guy in a lab coat being like, we are in America and we will dump these <laughs> bottles of formaldehyde. It's like so heavy handed. Yeah, but- and I love too that North Korea actually gave this movie a lot of love because <laughs> of this way it shat on, on North America, <laughs> which I think is so funny. Uh, yeah, but also he said, 
said, and I love this because this really connects to all of his other films, especially Parasite. Bong said, the central focal point of the film is the protagonist's family, this loser family, whatever is tormenting this family that is making life hard for them or oppressing them. You could say that whoever, whatever's not helping them on the whole, it's a host of all those things. It could be the creature itself. It could be the system that doesn't help this family. Korean society, America, a wide spectrum of meaning for the host. I also just love that he has a movie called The Host, Mm -hmm. which is that, and he's even saying that's a metaphorical host, like a parasite and a host. And then he also has his film Parasite. I just put that together. You just put that together for me. Isn't that amazing? Oh, I feel so dumb for not having (laughs) put that A to C. Um, So Uh the creature was designed by Chin Wei Chin, uh, then sent to Way to Workshop in New Zealand for modeling and then Bong he had Joon-ho wanted way to workshop to do the to effects, do the whole thing but, but they got caught uh, up right well no they just gotten oscars for lord <laughs> of the rings and now their price just, yeah, just, just skyrocket just, just soared so he was inspired by a local article by the way about a deformed fish with an s-shaped spine that was caught in the han river and wanted it to look similar to that actual fish the orphanage is the cgi team that takes on the monster in the film he claims he wanted to use a korean studio but just you know they just didn't have the right but man we should talk okay so this is a monster movie about a creature that is coming out of the han river this was also so i loved reading that it was very much so lauded for the fact that they showed this creature full body early on broad daylight broad daylight tons of footage of the creature and it's a scary looking creature and it's very effectively shown but it's also like kind of it's upsetting because it's like it's it's disfigured it's wrong it's it's wounded it's it's it shouldn't be it it really delivers for a monster movie with the budget i'm sure that they had to work with it really delivers on a visual level in a way that you didn't expect from these types of movies, especially these types of movies that weren't like massive budget films. It did not disappoint. And I think that's why we both love this movie so much. Cause again, this was a movie that to me came out of nowhere. I remember getting it from my local DVD guy and taking it home because I'd heard it was really good and throwing it on. And it was one of those movies where I'm like, damn, I need to tell everybody about this. This is awesome. Totally delivers on this great, great level. And also was one of the first films I feel like I caught, especially live action coming out of South Korea. I just wasn't a lot coming out of there. So to get this cultural representation going with the with the loser family and the american aspect <laughs> of the the you know dumping of the chemicals all that stuff was so novel and fantastic to get to receive as an american audience member and to be so surprised by just how wonderfully portrayed all of it was and the cuz the core of the story is the family and they're kind of like this uh you know it's this uh it's not it's this kind of weird uh misfit conglomeration the aunt's a fuck up the uncle's like a kind of a fuck up and like everyone just kind of gets their they tries their damnedest once they're once the daughter is kidnapped or monster napped or whatever you want to say um and it's just it has so it's it does everything that a good Bong Joon-ho film does. It hits your heart. It hits your funny bone. It but does it's some, wildly entertaining at the same does time. Does some brutal twists and some real like just imagery that will just stick with you till the end. There's a fucking um, lobotomy sequence that's fucking terrifying. Um, and it's just, it's really good. Uh, he says he was actually inspired by M. Night Shyamalan's Signs, where, you know, oh, it, was, okay. it was technically a larger disaster movie, but 
filmed, but like kind of focused on a single family unit. Yeah, that it which was, uh, the, makes it work so well. If it was just a big monster rampaging through a city, it would just be a kaiju movie. It'd be yeah, a kid's movie. Totally. And uh, the fact that it's a, uh, you know, it's just a family trying to save, like, what's good, <laughs> which is just the next generation, uh, is heartbreaking. Also, weirdly enough, uh, I, in Parasite, uh, the remember the mom is, like, a former Olympic hammer throw <laughs> competitor? Right. In The Host, the aunt is a former Olympic archer. Ha. There's something great about making one of the characters a former, like, Olympian yeah. <laughs> that just adds so much shit to it. It's such a good thing. So the film premieres at Cannes in 2006. It's released in South Korea later that year, and it, it just crushes the box office in South Korea, breaking records all over that weekend. Performs really well at the film festivals that it goes to and countries all over the world. It does do well with its limited American release. It is also and even included in Quentin Tarantino's 20 top films released since 1992, which is when he started directing movies. And I think that's great that it's on there. So after the host, the host uh, it puts him, the host makes him like a Korean, a South Korean Spielberg, essentially. Like he is just... He is like the guy for South Korea for big, especially like their big movies. Um, in 2008, he ends up doing a short for a compilation film, Tokyo. And I only wanted to bring this up because I weirdly ended up seeing that in the movie theater. Really? Yeah. And uh, I loved it. It has Michelle Gondry and also the director for Holy Motors did a segment on it. And it was, I, I remember I saw it with my ex-girlfriend and I remember we were just like wanting to go see a movie, but we, I was like, I want to see something just different. I don't know. Let's, and we just like looked at what was playing. It was like, this looks weird and different. Let's go see this Tokyo movie. And he did a story about, uh, Hikoko, he, he, Hikikomori. Hikikomori, which is a term used in Japan for people unable to adjust to society so they don't leave their homes. And I, I remember it very vividly. So I can't believe I was seeing early, uh, so wait, they're podcasters? Yeah, exactly. I, I can't believe I was seeing like early Bong directed work and had no idea. But check out Tokyo. It's really good. And all three of those directors are amazing. I mean, Holy Motors is one of my favorite films ever. Anywho, let's get back into the main the main hitters with Mother. I got to watch Mother actually just uh, last night and was so happy to have an excuse to do so. It is uh, a 2009 drama about a man who is framed for the murder of a girl and his mother who seeks out the true killer. The man in question also has uh, some, some pretty big mental handicaps. He's clearly got some issues. It is, and it is definitely about what a mother will go through to protect her son. It had been in Bong Joon-ho's mind and in the works for five years. He said, I had the general idea for the story even before the host, and I wrote a, a first synopsis in early 2004. That was also when I first met the main actress, Kim Hye-ja, and the fact that we could finally work together as director and actress was an unbelievable experience for me. She is amazing, <laughs> this woman who plays the mother. She was a known Korean TV actress the at the time. mother? Yes, the titular mother. It it was it was Kim actually who inspired Bong to write the story. He would spend all this time with her over months and months. Bong said she is not very well known abroad, but in Korea she is an almost mythical actress, like the quote mother of the nation. And I had been a fan of her since I was little. The first time I met Hye Ja, it was a little surreal actually. She was almost like a dreamer. She was completely different from what I had seen on TV. So in reaction to this, I wanted to show her in a role that 
that is completely the opposite of her TV appearances and express her personality from a different point of view, looking at the hysteria and madness that lie beneath the surface of her great gentleness and warmth. And yeah, he would just spend just he would he would he would see her multiple times a week just spend time with her just try to get her essence as much as he could so that, and even take photos of her and things like that just to help inspire this screenplay it was all from his time with her and he also said mother is about the bond between a mother and a son when you think about it this might be the most intimate relationship that could ever exist because the baby was in her womb for so many months. You have to a tight relationship that way. But mother explores that dark side of the relationship, its animal instinct. What is really tragic, sad, and almost scary is that despite the fact that the relationship between a son and a mother is as intimate as can be, the mother still doesn't understand her son. The movie is actually about how the mother fails to control her own son 100%, fails to know her own son inside and out, even though she is supposed to have the most intimate relationship with him possible. And it is a really tragic, really um, beautifully shot film, too. Just these gorgeous landscape shots and these things that just feel so alive and so South Korea. it, It was just beautiful, beautiful, and also a big risk for him. He makes the the host big, big, more blockbustery feeling film, a film that is splashy with effects and everything. This is a small movie, an intimate movie about a woman going through this. It is it is like totally an auteur move in so many ways to say no, no, no. I I know I made the host, but I can all I can also make this, and this is its own level of masterpiece in its own way. It does do quite well in South Korea and was well regarded in the festival circuit for sure. And, you know, I, you know, it didn't do nearly as well as the host, but the host is much more made for, uh, I think a bigger audience, a splashier film for like, uh, a wider audience, but that is all to say. Yummy. Yum. Take it away. Jake. <laughs> okay, so Snowpiercer, you know it, you love it. It's Chris Evans. <laughs> <laughs> is that all right? Moving on. It's now, John Parasite Hurt. is a film. <laughs> Okja is a movie that. <laughs> oh God, where do we start with this? Uh, uh, based on the graphic novel, how about Le Transpersonnage by Jean Marc Rochette? Do not hit me up about how badly I pronounce that. He's I in know the I movie. got it wrong. He's the little artist guy. And, it's cute. And Jacques Loeb. Uh, and this was Bong's English language debut. He co-wrote the script with Kelly Masterson, who did the screenplay for the film Before the Devil Knows You're Dead. He wanted to take that very dark, uh, cold, rough approach that Kelly took on that screenplay and give it to Snowpiercer. But I also just love the fact that he discovers this graphic novel in a bookshop. This is How often has this happened, especially if you're a comic nerd? Right. We're in the fucking graphic novel section of a Barnes & Noble or something. You pick up some random book by chance, and you're just immediately locked in. And he finishes the whole thing right there, standing in front of the bookshelf. And and he, you know, that he's like me, he accidentally trips over a scene kid reading manga on the floor. <laughs> and, he, and he said, when I first came across Transparency, the first thing that uh, ha- grabbed my attention was the unique cinematic space of a train. 
hundreds of metal pieces moving like a snake, carrying people squirming inside, gripped my heart. And the people were fighting against each other. They were not equal in this Noah's Ark that held the last survivors as they were divided into cars. Now, this is all the way back in like 2005. Yeah. He is not ready to make this movie yet, but he's so enamored with this space, with this concept, that he actually has his good old friend, Chanwook Park of uh, Old Boy and Sympathy for uh, Mr. Vengeance, to actually use his production company to buy the rights for him mm-hmm. just so he can like hold on to it and do and use it later. Also though feels that you know that, that loves the graphic novel but knows that it's not this the cinematic thing he needs so they have to totally rewrite it have, with new characters and everything. It was really just taking that concept mm-hmm. and and fully adapting it though. Yeah, the messaging the messaging besides like the very you know back of the train poor front of the train rich uh, is very different and the graphic novels have like sequels and kind of go into the greater kind of concept of this world but where uh, director Bong ends up going with it is such a great place. It's so good and it is so like I said it really does feel in the best way possible like a really good video game like we've got to get from this end to that end in this very stressful short period of time. You start at one end of the train and two hours later you've reached the front. And And every car is going to be different and every car is going to gradually get fancier because we're going from the (laughs) lowest class car to the front of the train which has the highest class car and I think that is such a great concept. Uh, so the, it was uh, filmed in the Czech Republic uh, in a giant, like, uh, 100-meter-long space where they could get up to four different train car sets all hooked together at once yes. for those perfect uh, pan shots. They were mounted on gimbals, which is a pivoted support that allows the rotation of an object about a single uh, axis in order to simulate trains being in motion. He said that uh, while working on the film, he felt like he really was on an actual moving train. Uh, according to the Flash SFX team... We managed to create a massive gimbal system supporting train cars with a total weight close to 100 tons. It was capable of simulating all sideway motions and vibrations of the train, including perfect make-believe curves of railroad tracks. And so, yeah, it was very, very cool. I know that um, – and this cast is unbelievable. Tilda Swinton talks about how she loved to just on days off even go explore the different cars and all the different things they were doing. Tilda Swinton, uh, Song Kang Ho, Jamie Bell, Octavia Spencer, Korean actress Go Ah Sung. You've got John Hurt and Ed Harris, of course. Uh, Tilda Swinton is so fucking good in this movie, dude. Tilda Swinton claims that she like w- is going to quit after every movie. Yeah. But if someone c- can let her know why the role will be fun for her, she agrees to go on it. And uh, Bong Joon-ho would actually go out to Scotland to her house and have her like try on different like outfits and accents to yes. try and like ha- figure out they this played. character. They, they really had fun together, I think. And of course, they, their collaboration moves on to his next film as well with Oak Cho. Oh, but can we just go about Snowpiercer for a yeah, second. For, oh, no, no, no. And I have more stuff to talk about with it, too. First of all, how about how almost all the shots were filmed so that the tail sections were to the left of the characters and the engine was to the right, which was a, quote, discipline, as Bong put it, to, quote, maintain the energy and give the audience a sense that whichever way the shot is moving, that's where the characters are going. It, it, it has such a... It has such a drive to it. It has such an energy to it that is undeniable that just picks you up and doesn't put you down until you get to the end of the film. I think this is another every frame of painting video. Sure. Uh, but you can actually break down the moments in the movie where Chris Evans' character has a decision to make, and it always boils down to, 
do I go back or do I go forward? Yeah. Do I go left or do I go right? Right. And it's all about you have to keep pushing. You have to keep going forward. Um, and and it's one of those movies, kind of like The Thing and a lot of other ones where as soon as I understood what the premise was, I was just so fucking on board. What a great idea. Like, And just knowing, so excited to get to the next train car just to see what was, what was in the next car design-wise and uh, concept-wise. Uh, some of the great uh, train cars, obviously um, – the uh the dark room where like just a literal masked butchers meet yes. our heroes and they turn off the lights and start hunting them down in night vision. Yes. Allison Pill as the pregnant teacher who's like doing the propaganda for how everyone praises the train. Uh-huh. What'll happen if the engine stops? We'll all freeze and die. <laughs> it's so amazing. She does a great it's, it's such a small scene, but she does like eye roll in the back of that. She plays like crazy true believers. Yeah, so everything well. Everything is so exaggerated in such a fun way, too. It's, uh, the, it's got that comic book feel for sure. I, but even then, like, even though this is an uh, English production, even though this is like a you know a, a global thing, I I was I laughed in the theater when it was uh, Song Kang Ho as like the kind of weird engineer uh, scientist drug addict guy who like plays this like weird just you know uh kind of burden to the rest of the cast throughout the whole movie and at the end it's like psych noble korean superior and like does the final thing to like win the day (laughs) oh god it's such a good fucking movie he reaches the end he reaches the end and is almost ready to accept that like this is the way of the world chris evans is like all right ed harris you're making like a really good thing about um about uh yeah i guess the train got to keep going uh, you, you know what? You, you won me over. All my friends are dead. This is this is great. And then he discovers one last thing that's like, fuck it. Take this <laughs> all fucker down. Oh, it's so good. And now is where we will get to talk about shitty ass Harvey Weinstein entering the fray. Bong, of course, this auteur, amazing filmmaker, and uh, he wants to, this is his first big English language debut film, and it is being distributed by the Weinstein Company, but they demand that 20 minutes of footage be edited, with an opening and closing monologue added to the movie, and Bong refuses. So back in 2014, when Snowpiercer was still getting, like, released and still on the hype train, uh, director Bong had a bunch of interviews where he was like, oh, you know, Harvey's fine. Like, a lot of people think we're at each other's throats and, like, you know, it's not that big of a deal. Don't worry. In 2019, when he's promoting Parasite and say maybe Harvey Weinstein is all actively on trial for being a <laughs> fucking dragon monster, he is shitting all over him. In an interview with Vulture, he remembers Weinstein telling him, wow, you're a genius. This is great. Let's cut out a bunch of dialogue and having <laughs> tense back and forths. Uh, he even had to do a thing where um, there's a scene early in the movie where one of the guards guts a fish in front of our heroes to like show like kind of a power move. This is the best story. It's and so Harvey funny. Weinstein's like, what, what, what are you doing with this fish nonsense? We got to get to the action. And Bong Joon-ho on the spot replies, actually, it's something personal. My father was a fisherman. I'm dedicating this moment to my father. And Weinstein immediately tells Bong that uh, family is the most important thing, which is, uh, you know, you got to, yeah, if you got to, you got to keep the fish gutting scene. And I said, thank you. Uh, it was a fucking lie. My father was not a fisherman. Yeah, of, of the whole ordeal, Bong said, the whole thing was like a black comedy. If this was someone else's movie and you were making a documentary of the situation, it would be very, really funny. Unfortunately, it was my movie. 
So between the amount of time it took and the difficulties that came with shooting a big budget studio film, Bong definitely decides he wants to start doing. Can I tell one more shitty Weinstein story? Of course. Also from the Vulture article, um, Bong was finally able to get Final Cut privileges after Weinstein test screened his own edited down version to an audience in Paramus, New Jersey. Uh, The screening for Weinstein's cut were very low. On the inside, I was happy that the scores were bad, Bong said. But Weinstein comes out afterwards and goes, Bong, yeah, listen, the scores were terrible. So obviously we got to cut more. Yeah, so ridiculous. (laughs) After a second screening in Los Angeles with Bong's own director cut scored well, Weinstein made the call to let him keep his theatrical cut. But he then downgraded uh, Snowpiercer from having a Weinstein company release to its more specialized radius subdivision. So like it's like well if I can't ruin your movie then it's not a wine it's not really a Weinstein movie right right um, yeah it, it it this this ended up get, the film got a limited release in America because of all this it was totally kneecapped its ability to succeed and I I mean I remember too I watched this movie definitely on demand at home or rented it or whatever after hearing word of mouth finally spread to say hey this movie rules and I was just like where was this movie I don't remember this movie being in the theater no one was talking about it before and now that makes a lot of sense it was actively sabotaged from getting popular in America which I is got very dragged out to see it by uh, a mutual friend Matt Morano who was like oh, dude yeah. you gotta see this fucking train movie and I was Hell like yeah. I don't what Chris, <laughs> Captain America's in this oh, okay I get oh it's made by the host guy yeah, I guess I'll see it mind Blown. Yeah, totally. Totally shook. It's up there as maybe one of the best action movies of all time. Hell yeah. And now let's talk about a big sweet pig with Okja, the you action got adventure a film in me. <laughs> about a girl who raises a genetically modified super pig that gets taken by an evil corporation, so she is forced to go rescue the animal. Stop me if you've heard this one before. This film was picked up by Netflix in 2015, and it featured a South Korean lead on Seo Hyun uh, with an English-speaking supporting cast, including Tilda Swinton returning. You've got Paul Dano, Jake Gyllenhaal, among many others. Uh, This was also uh, co-written. The script was co-written with Bong and Welsh author John Ronson to help with the English-speaking characters. So John Ronson uh, most recently kind of uh, hit it with uh, So You've Been Publicly Shamed, Mm. which is a book about uh, uh, people who have gotten canceled and the fallout from that. Uh, But he had just written a uh, book called Psychopath Mm. that goes into the psychology of people diagnosed psychopaths. Oh, wow. Especially in Okja. Everyone from Jake Gyllenhaal's character to Paul Dano's character to both of Tilda Swinton's character. All, <laughs> yeah, she plays a pair of sisters, by the way. Uh, one is like represents like TED Talk corporate culture. Yes. And the other represents like actual corporate culture. <laughs> With Ronson's help, like it's almost more so than the adorable pig effects and the heartfelt story between a girl and her genetically engineered super pig. It's those performances and those characterizations that are such delectably unique shitheads throughout the movie. <laughs> Jake Gyllenhaal's performance is gonzo. It is incredible to watch. It's like his. It's like bigger. It's more weird than his character from uh, John John Mulaney's Sack Lunch Bunch. Um, it is so crazy. 
According to Bong Joon Ho, it just started with the drawings of a like a big goofy animal uh-huh. and a little girl. And he yeah, just, it really all came from that. It's it was like, like okay, it's big. Why is it big? I guess it's being raised for food. He does a lot of that too. He talks about a lot of his writing processes is conceiving of these characters and just putting him in the situations and seeing what would happen between the two of them. And like putting the Loch Ness it, monster in the middle of the Han River. Exactly, just having this organic story unfold from. Uh, that that basis in writing. The visual effects supervisor was Eric DeBoer, who won an Oscar for Life of Pi. There was a lot of work went into making that animal as lovable as humanly possible, as soft as humanly possible. A big thing, too, for them was just the approach that we're going to have this big, giant creature, but it's going to be a gentle giant and uh, go against the grain in a lot of ways when it comes to what we expect from a big, giant creature in a film at the time for research purposes uh director bong visited a colorado slaughterhouse uh-huh. to see how factory farms were done firsthand <laughs> became a temporary <laughs> vegan after that uh, which uh, is what happens when you go to one of those places that was in yeah colorado. let's move on to the killing floor producer do don't let the name fool you it's actually a loose grating that allows the juices to slice through <laughs> uh and the Producer also Duho uh, Choi also became a temporary vegan from that visit, as it happens. Also, also though, this film premieres at Con, and uh, there are all these boos when the Netflix logo pops up. So this gives you a little bit of a place in time for Netflix's involvement in prestige films. This was when they were just starting to do that, and people were definitely kind of pissed about the involvement of Netflix. Even though it was entered into the uh, festival, it was strictly forbidden from getting any awards because the film was not being screened in France. So the idea that, like... Uh, you cannot have a film without the cinema. And I think now even Netflix does screen their films. And I don't know if that's a lesson they learned from. But there's always some kind of limited release screening of Usually the Irishman. Usually just so they can get like, yeah, awards. Exactly. I think that was probably a lesson learned for them from this experience. There was also a weird technical issue where the projector showed the movie in the, in wrong-, the wrong aspect ratio. So even more booze happened. But apparently it did get a very long standing By the end of the end. movie, when all was said and done, it got a four-minute standing. Yeah, yeah. People did love it by the end of it. You watched it more recently. What did you feel from the film? Oh, it's great. It's fantastic. It does so much of what director Bong does, which is the mix, the, the tonal shift the uh, dark comedy. There's a horrible scene where uh, uh, an animal is being uh, artif- is forced breeding, um, and Jake Gyllenhaal, uh, uh, rather than like stewing in it, is just trying to turn off the sound on his laptop, which has the camera feed, and like just the the horrible dark comedy of it all is uh, is you know classic Bong Joon Ho. Tons of like very nationalistic pride because you know the reason why uh, the girl and Okja the pig are so like lovable and so pure is because they're raised in this like pure rural Korean setting, this very idyllic place that represents, uh, you know, the pride of his country. And it's only corrupted and destroyed by outside American forces. Mm -hmm. And even the animal rights activists aren't like heroes. They're fuck ups. They're kind of shitty. They're kind of backstabby and kind of have weird delusions of grandeur. And he makes no bones about like trying to make them just unequivocal heroes. And of course, I, I I cannot stress how much Jake Gyllenhaal is just losing his mind on screen. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, yeah, so there you go. That's Okja, but I am so excited to talk about his most recent film, 
Parasite. I just think it is his greatest work by far up to this point. There's so much going mm, on. How in many it. axe fights are there? It then? feels like the Jake, please. It feels like the culmination of everything he'd been working on up to this point. And it's so much smaller than a Snowpiercer, so much smaller than even an Okja. And he gets this idea while working on Snowpiercer all the way back in 2013. He was encouraged by a theater actor buddy of his to write a play based on Bong's experience that I mentioned before being a tutor for the son of a wealthy family when he was in his early 20s. Bong recollects of this time. They wanted another tutor for math, so she, his now wife, uh, put me forward. She was working with the rich family, his now wife, put me forward as a trustworthy friend, even though I was actually really bad at math. That's how it works with those jobs. It's not as if they put out lots of ads looking for domestic help. You're introduced. And so based off of all that experience, he writes a 15-page treatment, which would turn into be the first half of Parasite. And if, you under, if you've seen Parasite, you know that it the movie kind of changes halfway through. By the way, if we've convinced you enough and you haven't seen it yet, there will be some spoilers. Just maybe stop and just go watch it and then come back to this final part of the episode. Because uh, I, I don't want to ruin anything for you, and it you can is buy the it on Amazon movie. Prime right now. It's worth it. It's so it's... good. Uh, so he worked on this, or even better, um, if you go and visit your rich suburban family, just casually be like, "Oh, I heard this foreign film was very uh, uh, acclaimed," <laughs> and then just watch your boomer parents squirm. <laughs> so he worked on the screenplay with Snowpiercer producer Han Jin Wan, churning out three drafts before putting it down to make Okja. Then came back to finish it after, and over many months, Han during that time, Han ends up meeting and interviewing real life housekeepers, tutors, and chauffeurs which makes so much sense, by the way, if you've seen the movie and if you have also had that type of a job. They nail it. They just nail it, nail it, what it's like to be poor and working for these these elite rich types. And so uh, he's visiting them and photo photographing uh, these lower class and also wealthy neighborhoods in Seoul. And he used the story of Christine and Leah Pappen as influence as well. Bong did. The uh, This was the story in uh, back in the early 1900s in France of two live-in maids who murdered their employer's wife and daughter gruesomely after being really poorly treated over many, many, uh, uh, or over a long period of time. The story actually influenced many French intellectuals such as Jean Genet, Jean-Paul Sartre, and um, Jacques Lacan, who considered it symbolic of class struggle. And of course, that is uh, the film as well. It is all about this class struggle. Bong said, this idea of a poor family infiltrating the lives of a rich one is where I first delved in. It was more like putting these characters together in a very controlled environment and then watching the chemical reactions unfold. And before finishing the script, he did uh, went ahead and signed on Song Kang-ho, who we mentioned earlier, as the father of the Kim family. Bong said, he always gives me a sense of relief, even when I'm still writing, because I know that with his energy and his delicacy... Even the film's boldest parts will be convincing. Also, though, the two living spaces in the film are almost a character in and of themselves. Uh, and they both feature a big window that looks out into the world. I didn't even think about this until I read about this. But they each one do. One's this shitty basement apartment in this poor neighborhood that has this window that just keeps them uh, inseparable from what's going on in the street. And then the rich people have this giant window looking out on the, their beautiful yard. So uh, Bong said, essentially, they're looking through the same window, but they're seeing completely different things. 
The characters in the poor house have no privacy. They're completely exposed to the street. Sometimes fumigation gas or flood water might flow in, and there's a drunk guy who regularly urinates right outside their window. But the rich family's window is very, very different. Uh, When it rains, instead of worrying about flood water, they look out and appreciate the mood and the view. And that was one of the most upsetting moments in the film, this this horrible flood that happens to the poor neighborhood, and it just destroys their apartment. And then the very next day, the uh, mother decides, the rich family mother decides to plan an impromptu birthday party for her son and even comments while talking to someone on the phone, yeah, it, it rained last night, so it's so pretty out right now for our party. And, of course, that rain had just devastated the lives of all of the people in that neighborhood. So um, director Bong actually said, like, if Snowpiercer is my left-right movie, Parasite is my up-down movie. Yes. Because even, like you said, the windows... They physically move up and down, too, just to get from the apartment up to the house. The house is on the top of a hill. Uh, The window that you described in the poor family, it actually is below the ground, so it it looks up. They're so low that their window looks up. The uh, rich people's house, all the window shots look down at the lawn. They're always looking down. Even... The, uh, you know, the economic analogy uh, kind of g- deals with uh, like climate change that literally, you know, these disasters are going to be happening and it's going to affect poor people while the rich people are going to be completely unaffected by it. And it's just it just hits so many levels. It made so many top 10 lists. It's like number one, according to every single critical website, everyone from RogerEbert.com to the Houston Chronicle to the Collider to just everybody ranked it number one. It's such a movie for this exact moment. And I feel yeah. like Snowpiercer is a better movie because really? I, uh, I feel just, like the, the dumber so a message can be, the better. And Snowpiercer <laughs> is like, it's suffering is so bad and the rich are such monsters. Whereas, like, Parasite, you know, a lot of people, even, like, rich people are like, hmm, really makes you think, tum 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 Or if they saw Snowpiercer, would be like, I didn't like that. That one made me feel bad. You know uh, what I mean? Yeah, I, I kind of get you, but I still feel that Parasite is just the superior film. Also also due to the amazing cast, the ensemble cast of Song Kang-ho, Lee Sun-kyun, Cho Yao-jong, uh, Choi Wu Sheik and my favorite uh, Park So Dom who played the daughter. She is so fucking good. She's very good. I'm just I cannot believe she was not nominated for best actress for the Oscars. I just felt like she crushed that part. She was so charming and yet so devious and just really really did such a great job. It's and a also theme. I love I also love Parasite overall. Too, because it is purely Korean. It is, mm. it is, it is subtitled. It is. It, it broke so many barriers. It did so much for South Korean cinema in terms of the American audience's embracing of it. It, it did. It did what so many other films have tried to do and have failed. And it finally broke through in this way that is just undeniable. I actually, it's kind of throughout most of his movies, uh, from everything from Snowpiercer to uh, Okja to. Um, yeah, to Parasite, to the host, it's the, a younger woman is like the heart of the family. It's mm-hmm. like the hope for the future, like, you know, the the focus, the likable one. And uh, whether they live or die kind of says a lot about uh, how hopeful <laughs> Director Bong is about the future. Sure. 
The film was released in mid-2019 and became Bong's highest-grossing release at $115 million. It won the Palme d'Or at the 2019 Cannes Film Festival. It's like pretty much, the, I believe that's the highest honor. It not only won, it was a unanimous win, which had only happened to wow. like, since um, 2013's Blue is the Warmest Color. Wow. Thanks, Wikipedia's first paragraph. <laughs> also, it uh, was the first South Korean-made film to be nominated for the Academy Award for Best Picture. It was also nominated nominated for Best Director, Best International Feature Film, Best Original Screenplay, Best Production Design, and Best Film Editing. And HBO, and I know there's a lot of people have been complaining about this fact, HBO picked up a limited series based on the film, adapted, though I will say at least adapted by Bong and Adam McKay. There's also um, a Snowpiercer TV series that's in development hell for years and years. So, uh, yeah, this is apparently, this is in development. It's supposed to explore stories, quote, that happen in between the sequences in the film, regardless I'm excited for whatever Bong wants to put out next. And so, this was a fascinating episode to get to cl climb through the the many films of a, a great artist. So what we have in director Bong is we have someone who was raised on like uh, Western filmmaking, who understands like the visual language that uh, can appeal to an entire world audience. He, but in the unique political and sociological uh, gauntlet that was Korea, in the 70s and 80s. Mm -hmm. um, he's just a kind of, he's a dark, humorous guy. He's kind of just this, you know, he's a little bit pudgy. He's a little, you know, likes comic books, has a dark sense of humor, and is a little bit sarcastic. Sure. So a ton of his movies will, you know, he's not out there to do like Hitchcock twists, but whenever this, when he's in his writing process, if, if this script goes someplace weird, he's like, oh, that's kind of fun, and just lets it go where it's going to go. Yeah, and, and this movie does, people do... Talk about how much this movie changes throughout the course of, of it. And, and it is, you never would expect where it goes for sure. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode. Uh, we hope you enjoyed our ep on Bong Joon-ho. I am Holden McNeely. You can follow me on twitch.tv forward slash HoldenatorsHo. You can also listen to this show exclusively starting February 14th on Spotify. You can listen to Wizard and the Bruiser for free and download, uh, I'm sorry, rather follow Wizard and the Bruiser on Spotify so that you can get those notifications on new episodes as they come out. You can uh, also download episodes for free with a free account you can also also but also check us out on patreon patreon.com forward slash whizbrew weekly episodes for just five dollars a month bonus episodes of us talking about the things that we've been reading and playing and watching throughout the month talking about uh things like what did we talk about recently jay uh we talked about who would win in a fight yes. uh he-man or lion-o yes uh, we've talked about uh our favorite theme park rides and what it means to have a good theme park experience we talk about uh, our favorite video games of the past 10 years. We talk about why GameStop was kind of shitty and we're glad it's going bankrupt. <laughs> you know, uh, all of these things can be found on our Patreon. And uh, Jake, where the fuck can we find you, my friend? My name is Jake Young, so you can follow me at Best Jake Young. <laughs> fuck those other Jake Youngs. Uh, on Twitter, where all my brain thoughts go. And... Um, uh, yeah, I just want to say, you know, it's uh, we're in a transition period, but if you're if you, the Patreon is still where our bread is buttered, it is still where you can interact with us over on Discord. It's still where you can vote in polls, and uh, you know, we really we still need your support. And God bless you. And if you need a body massage, I will find you and give you a very platonically safe massage. There you have it. And always remember, never stop bruising and keep on whizzing.
This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Rack your look for spring at Nordstrom Rack and save up to 60% on brands you love. Rag & Bone, Vince, Marc Jacobs, Adidas, Joes, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. Score new dresses, denim, sandals, designer bags, and sunglasses, plus updates for the family and home. Get your spring on for less, up to 60% less, today at your Nordstrom Rack store. What will you find? The legends are true. Overwhelming power. sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Donald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last.